Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin Hahnemann and the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. Today, you're going to get two guests, not just one. I can't even wait. We're going to talk about Ocean Brands and the Culinary Collective. On the podcast today is Nola Martin. She leads marketing at Ocean Brands. And Kelly Burling, she is COO of Culinary Collective. It's so great to have both of you guys on the podcast. Thanks, Justin. Great to be here. Thank you so much. We're excited. I know. I, I am too. It's a Friday afternoon. Um, we are excited to be here, talk about food, um, talk about brands. Um, it's going to be very exciting. And our audience is going to learn about both of your companies today and the broader portfolio companies you guys get to work with. So super excited about that. Um, let's do this first. Nola, we'll start with you. How about give a little bit about your background and what you're doing today with Ocean? Sure. Thanks, Justin. Um, my background has been 30 plus years in consumer package goods. Um, so working with the likes of Campbell's and Maple Leaf across a whole bunch of categories. Um, at Ocean Brands, we primarily focus on selling canned seafood in the Canadian marketplace. Um, and we've been around since 1962. So I lead marketing. Um, and primarily what's really different about my job at Ocean Brands in Canada is that we focused on tuna and salmon, which is not something we're doing for the U.S. market. Interesting. Okay, so let's come back to that in just a moment. Um, uh, I want to get over to Kelly. Kelly, how about share a little about you and your focus with your company? Absolutely. Thank you again for having us. Uh, super excited for the opportunity to, to reach out to this audience. My background is uh, 15 plus years in education and data. Um, I'm a statistician by training wow. and then um, moved into the, the business um, segment of that sector, but really about um, account management, growth, sales, um, and operations all rolled into one. And about five years ago, I pivoted into the food industry, had the awesome opportunity to come work with Culinary Collective, uh, which in a consulting role, at which time they asked me to come on. And we have just um, been able to blossom with the team that we had there, the product assortment, and the company as it had already been set up, uh, really was just right for my approach to to management and a different view of the market. And we've just had an awesome time. And then um, almost two years ago now, we were acquired by the uh, Jimmy Patterson group, which is also Oceans. Um, and now the opportunity for us to work together with, with Oceans um, and looking at new opportunities in the U.S. together. I love that. Very, very cool. Um, Kelly, let's stick with you for just a moment. Talk about uh, your product line. So get into a little more detail in terms of what you guys had built um, before acquisition. And has that changed after acquisition? Absolutely. So Culinary Collective was started almost 25 years ago now, um, getting up on our quarter century mark as a specialty food importing business. And largely it was focused around Spain initially, uh, but the idea of the collective was always there, this opportunity to serve as a, a collection of um, premium items 
um, being brought to the U.S. for the for the U.S. market. So things that the U.S. market wasn't going to be able to create locally um, or find easily. And the one of the co-founders is Spanish, and so Spain was was the initial location. In that time, uh, culinary has forged extremely close relationships relationships with strong European brands. And we generally work as an exclusive importer and brand representative of those companies in the US, as well as launching our own brand. So um, one of those brands is Metis that you uh, um, might be familiar, you and your readers, uh, listeners might be familiar with. Um, we are well known in the specialty space, specifically in tin seafood, but also in rice and a few other categories, but our tin seafood line is definitely our number one category. We're known for a pure and pristine approach to tin seafood, bringing the European conservative style at an affordable price point to the U.S. market, um, and and that has been one of our biggest areas of growth uh, since that since that launch. The acquisition by Oceans has been amazing. Uh, they are a fantastic company, as Nola was just saying, with huge penetration knowledge in the seafood space in Canada. And together, we've worked on collaborating on bringing new, exciting items and flavors and species to the U.S. market um, using some uh, using the Oceans brand and getting to collaborate to really look together at what was not going to be the same. We didn't want to repeat Matisse, right? Um, sure. But what could we bring to the U.S. market that wasn't here, that was a nice complement um, to the the conservas, the pure, pristine flavor profile of that European tasting experience? What could we do that was different and exciting and new for consumers? And that's where getting to work with NOLA has been so exciting. Perfect. And then perfect segue. All right. So, NOLA, talk about um, how this brand fits into the total portfolio and give us a sense for the, the larger Oceans Umbrella organization. Um, so how this brand fits into the portfolio is that as Oceans acquired, um, we were looking for acquisitions in the U.S. market because the U.S. is about 10 times the size of Canada. And not only, as Kelly mentioned, did we have a great um, alignment of values between us, but we also had ambitions to want to launch products into the U.S. We had tried a couple times in the regular tuna and salmon space and had not been successful. And so we were looking, what we were really looking for was a partner and looking at brands, looking at fish types that were different than what was already well-developed in the U.S. So the U.S. is very well-developed in tuna and salmon. Um, even regular sardines are super well-developed. And we know like there's this fantastic Matisse offering that's you know delicious and premium. So as we tried to figure out what might the opportunity be, we looked at our own portfolio and about five years ago, we brought mackerel to the Canadian consumer. And we had taken um, a minuscule, tiny segment of the tin fish market, which was mackerel, and we'd actually doubled and tripled it over the last five years. And so we felt that based on the assortment in the U.S., that mackerel um, would be a really great addition and would also provide some interesting new varieties to, to the U.S. consumer who typically doesn't eat as much fish as other you know worldwide consumers and especially Canadians. So in working with Kelly and the team, we looked at what recipes would um, work for the U.S. Uh, palate. Um, there is a difference between the kinds of foods that people in the U.S. eat and Canadians eat. Surprisingly, it's <laughs> what it's do you mean? Similar, but it's not the same. <laughs> you have to tell us more. Like, what have you found in your research? So, U.S. 
the U.S. population tends to like foods that are much spicier than us Canadians. And so, you know, where you'll you'll see in our product line, we we um, we have a jalapeno variety that we would most we don't have that in Canada. We, we haven't launched it because um, spice is not as much of a popular thing in Canada as it is in the U.S., um, a little bit more, there's a little bit more of a lean to, um, to more punchy flavors in the U.S. than there is in Canada. Um, we launched a Korma curry, which is really cool, but probably, you know, it would, it would probably do okay, but it's, it's not going to be as of, as of much interest because it feels like U.S. consumers are a little bit more, um, adventuresome. They're certainly more gourmet. And, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's been really cool working with Kelly and the team to figure out what varieties would work well um, in in a new marketplace, but it's also, you know, very similar to Canada, but it's not the same. Sure. That's interesting. So did you did you guys have to try and and find things that worked versus didn't work? You know, did some things not make it and those were cut or did some make it and then therefore you invested? How did you how did you work through that? Well, I'm going to hearken back to my data-driven approach to things. Um, one of the one of the things we did is we looked at what was going on in the marketplace. So, what um, based on sales data that's available on seafood, tin seafood consumption in the U.S., we looked at what categories are large, what categories are growing, what categories were declining. The pandemic provided this incredible um, opportunity to get people in the U.S. exposed to more tin seafood than they had potentially been exposed to before. So again, if anything, if we can find any good things that came out of the pandemic, people bought foods that they wouldn't normally buy. Totally. And so we had this huge pandemic rush, right, of everybody buying all these different types of foods. And then we can see what has been sticking. So what are people continuing to buy that's at a higher level in this post-pandemic era that shows that they found something new and liked it, or they were exposed to a different level of quality. So we looked at data. We said, what species are doing well? What flavor profiles seem to be doing well? Who's growing and where and how? And then we said, what isn't here where we feel like we have something that we can contribute um, based on our ability to source, based on our ability to come up with awesome, exciting recipes? And where do we want to, you know, push the envelope a little bit, take a risk and say, we see this is growing. We think the next thing is going to be some of these awesome flavor profiles. So what we really ended up focusing in on are some really um, sustainable, because that's the number one area of focus for us. So what species can be sustainable and um, that are uh, appealing to the U.S. market? What flavor profiles would that be? And um, and then how can we make this punch um, on the shelf really stick out and look different than the brands that are out there too? So we chose um, small fish because small fish are the most sustainable fish in the ocean and the healthiest for consumers to eat regularly. And we went for some fun, exciting flavors, as Nola was saying, the jalapeno, <laughs> right. the korma curry. And then we have these hot smoked mackerel fillets as well, which um, really are not similar to very much in the market in the U.S. right now. And it's this incredible flavor and texture and intense, um, yummy experience on your tongue (laughs) when you're eating this hot smoked flavor Um, and added some interesting spices there that you don't see in the market, like a coriander and juniper mix. So um, really, really tried to identify that some unique species were growing in the U.S. market. Um, People liked flavor. 
Uh, lots of interesting, really recipe-driven things were happening, not only in Tin Seafood, but other places, but also in Tin Seafood. And what could we bring that was a little bit different? Talk about sourcing. Um, how do you guys figure out where to buy product that goes in? You know, where do you get the fish from? Do you and is there? A, what is? How does that even work? I don't know that. Our, we've never really talked about that on the, this show. Um, but how do you guys figure that out? And is it is it important where you get it from? Like, how does that work for you guys? I'll let Nola start on this one, but yes, it's hugely important where you sure. get. It's it to Kelly's point. I mean, I can't I can't overestimate how important it is. Um, at Ocean Brands and and even with uh, even with the culinary collective business, I mean, we we need to source. Um, we need to source the product, and so what we look for are suppliers that at the very fundamental level share our values. They treat people well. They treat the oceans well. Um, Ocean Brands is a B Corp, um, and it really matters to us how how our relationship with our suppliers are, how they give back to the community, the programs and things that they do. It's it's really making sure that they're doing no harm and that we're working with people that have as much passion about keeping the oceans healthy for future generations as we do. And so um, so the, the primary source of supply for, for our oceans line is um, a fourth generation um, family red, run business out of Scotland. Um, they've been doing this for a very long time. They have a very steady fishing fleet um, and they, they operate a great business. We do social audits with our suppliers um, globally and we make sure that they meet um, all of those criteria. And, and we like a, actually a higher standard. We don't just go for the minimum. We want to make sure that they are working with um, with the right NGOs, that they're applying the right practices, really, so that we can we can ensure that the products the fish that we're buying from them are healthy, they're sustainable, and that they'll be around for a really long time. Kelly, I'm going to throw throw it over to you to see if you've got anything to add. Um, I would just go beyond that to say that we have to really like the people and trust them. Sure. And it's a relationship-driven business, right? Like sure. I think that, that kind of goes without saying. First, you have to meet all of these criteria. But generally, if you meet a lot of them, you're more likely to be the kind of people we want to do business with as well. Um, but... Uh, it's a little bit different for some of the products in say the oceans line than some of the work that we do under the Matisse line or other products we work with as well. So um, in the case for oceans, we are sourcing products that we want working with someone on recipes to, to our spec, to our spec. So um, finding the suppliers who are able to do that, who have the responsible fishing, who have the social responsibility, et cetera. For some of um, the products that we do under culinary collective, we actually go out and um, source um, at food shows in Europe by going and meeting vendors, finding products in the market in Europe and finding products and then researching the um, the companies and the people behind them and forming relationships with someone who's creating an amazing, excellent, unique product who also meet some of our sourcing criteria, which is also that they invest in their local community. They hire locally, they source locally. Um, they have responsible environmental and economic practices. Um, they work with whole clean ingredients, uh, all of those sorts of things. That's you know a little bit more of the culinary collective portfolio. Everything we're doing with oceans fits within that as well. Um, but it happened that we were going out and, you know, sourcing to spec in that case, as opposed to um, finding someone who already had an amazing product that we wanted to bring to market in the U.S. Love that. Um, you guys talk about product and introducing product in new markets. How do you gain awareness or trial? And how do you get 
consumers to go, yeah, mackerel, you know what I mean? Versus tuna or salmon. Like how, how, how does that work? Well, there's this wonderful opportunity to, to meet with people um, like yourself <laughs> and doing PR <laughs> totally. and getting the word out, right? No doubt. That's a, that's a great opportunity. We do also, um, we, we have some really close relationships with buyers at various grocery store chains. We have some close relationships with distributors. Um, because we've been able to bring product to them before that has been a winner in the market, right? So number there are a number of things. You, you need both to create a, a market opportunity with the consumer, um, but you also have to create um, the opportunity to get the product to the consumer. And for us, that starts with having really good trusted relationships with the people in the grocery industry who know that we care about quality, who know that we're getting them something at a good price point, and who know that we stand behind the products and put the effort behind it. So that's been um, one of the, the avenues is really working with the, the purchasers, category managers that we know and have trusted relationships with. And then, of course, it is also about building that fun story around a new brand, the new flavors, the new, um, maybe less well-known species. And that's more sure. the, the consumer-facing portion. I'm going to let Nola speak to that a little bit um, as well. Yeah, trial is trial is one of those things that we, um, you know, you need to get the food in people's mouths, especially for a species like mackerel. And I think um, from a marketing perspective and with the consumer, um, we need to find ways. The U.S. is such a huge market, and we're we're at, we're a small brand. Um, you know, we've we've got some good market share in Canada, but still, we are tiny in comparison. And because many brands start out don't have really big budgets. I mean, we we look to do things like um, low cost sort of sampling programs or sending products to to nano influencers or micro influencers and, and really try to get some of that word of mouth out, get some good reviews. I think reviews in trusted sources like Amazon, or if you see something on Instagram or whatever, you know, there's some cool, there's some cool Instagram um, people that have like tin fish review. Those are highly trusted sources. Even, you know, we've seen some reviews on Reddit and stuff. And and then you, you just kind of hope to start some of it in that way with some word of mouth. I mean, we could also look at some food shows, but really our focus is to have um, a regionalized approach as well so that we can kind of focus funds in one area, maybe get some good penetration and then move on to other areas of the U.S. as well. That's awesome. Um, really cool. And so fun to have you both here uh, and, and talking from different perspectives, but but somehow they go together in a nice way, which is amazing, um, especially as a host. Uh, <laughs> hey, so I always love to ask our guests some of their biggest <laughs> lessons learned in growing a brand, launching a brand, uh, or acquiring a brand. So I'm going to leave it up to you guys to share your uh, words of advice. But let's do this. Let's start with Kelly. Um, why don't you share first some of your thinking in terms of, you know, uh, biggest lessons learned you share with our audience. We've got a lot of entrepreneurs that listen and those that are building brands. So um, why don't we start with you? And what would you offer? I think that there's been a lot of focus in the last, I don't know, five years on really rapid growth of brands, um, launch a brand, get it big, go national, get lots of attention online, get placed in as many stores as possible. 
And I want to encourage a lot of the entrepreneurs out there who might be intimidated by that, that starting small is not a bad thing. Starting small, growing slowly, growing with purpose and through relationship and doing things in a quality way is a really smart and sustainable way um, to go about doing business. If you're looking for the quick exit, (laughs) it's not the right idea, but um, it it is the most cost-effective means for a small entrepreneur to get business, to stay in business and to grow sustainably. Focus on some really tight, good local or regional relationships or, you know, a few relationships regionally and and do great business and deliver and deliver and deliver. And then people will keep coming back to you um, because they know that you're trusted. And so don't be intimidated by all of the, um, you know, the the massive brand, splashy brands, because a lot of them aren't going to be there in just a year or more. Love it. Great advice. Um, And so true. Um, Over to you, Nola. Awesome. Um, I would, the advice that I would give is if you're an entrepreneur looking to expand your business from one market to the other, um, it's vitally important not to make the assumption that even though you might share a common language and, you know, a long land border, but really, um, you know, many things uh, the same, that it's actually, the businesses are similar, but don't make the mistake to assume that they're the same. And finding a very valued, trusted partner that's in the market that you want to enter into is absolutely fundamentally key in order to be successful. It'll allow you to, you know, tweak your formulations, um, ensure that you have the right, the right distribution plan. It'll ensure that you know who's important in that market. You can't just apply your current market experience to a new market. It probably won't work out that well. So take the time to learn everything you can if you can't find a partner. But finding a trusted partner that knows how that market works is, I think, really a key to success. Love it. Great advice from both of you guys. I mean, amazing. Um, Before we go, you got to share where can our audience find you, connect with you, learn where to buy product, learn about the product. Who wants to take that one? I'll do it first for Culinary Collective. Uh, you can find us on on uh, Instagram at, at Matisse Foods. You can find us on um, online at culinarycollective.com. You can find our products nationally at specialty and uh, traditional grocery stores. Look for the Matisse tin seafood, sardines, et cetera, and Oceans line. You can find us now launching in um, several uh, areas of the country with new at Kehi. So all of your independent stores in the um, uh, mid-Atlantic region in the Midwest around um, Illinois and out in the Pacific Northwest, as well as at the Fresh Market. Um, uh, We have SKUs launching there that are available now for purchase. So um, find us, comment, and on Amazon as well for all of the products. You can find any and all on Amazon. We look forward to hearing from you. Info at culinarycollective.com if you want to reach out. I love it. Nola, anything to add? No, you can reach me at all the same places that uh, that Kelly just mentioned. And we do have a website for oceans in the U.S. It's called oceanfish.com if you want to see what our product line is and find some yummy recipes as well. Yeah, and oceanbrands.com. got great imagery on the front. Um, okay, very, very cool. It's been so fun to have you guys um, with us today. You got to come back on down the road as you continue to grow and evolve the brand network and, and commercial um, landscape. It's been so fun spending time with you. Thank you both for making time to be here today. Thanks, Justin. Really enjoy being uh, being able to chat with you for a while.
You are so welcome, Justin. Thank you for the opportunity. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.